have a wonderful guest speaker. Dave Schmelzer is here to share with us. Dave is from L.A., and he's our partner in Blue Ocean Faith. He's the author of a couple of great books back there at the welcome table. And we, he has some wonderful things to share today. So please join me in welcoming Dave. It is very fun to be with you all. I feel like it's a second family, so uh, it's barely, I barely even feel like I'm from out of town when I come. So you think, well, we feel like you're out of town, but I don't. So it's, it is good to be here with such good friends, and to be here on Palm Sunday is really fun. So I understand that you all have been looking at the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to get my thing just high enough not to fall out of the stand. Um, you've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount together, and I got assigned a very famous part of the Sermon on the Mount with very practical advice that for most of us is encouraging. It is Matthew 6.25. Therefore I tell you, says Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And then he goes on to have an argument for why. Why worry is bad and worry is a bad thing to do. Pretty much it's the human condition to worry, and so I think almost all of us look at that and, uh, and identify. And we say, well, goodness gracious, that's good advice. I better not do that. Uh, his advice, I'm sure, is well taken. And uh, so I get the fun opportunity to talk about that. Probably on the downside, I think the reason Charles said, Dave, you should talk about that is because he says, if there's anyone who knows about worry, it's you. <laughs> so I've, I wasn't sure to take that as a compliment, that I was an expert on something that could help, or I was an expert in bad behavior and sinful uh, distrust of the living God. So it's one of the two is why I'm qualified to speak to you about this subject. And uh, let me pray for our time together. Well, God, I look forward to sharing whatever you've been teaching me recently, which has felt meaningful to me, at least, about anxiety and worry and about kind of finding a way through it. And I pray that you'll connect it to us in a way that serves us this morning. I do think for most of us, being anxious or stressed or worried is just part of life. And so in that sense, it's normal and we all experience it. But you are so on it to say that there's a way through it. And I pray that you'll guide us for ourselves into something useful this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the upside, this is probably the only time in my life that the turning from one year to the next year has felt meaningful to me. So as a pastor for many years, people would not infrequently come up to me and say, oh, thank God, you know, whatever, 2005 is over. That was such a horrible year. But now it's 2006. And being a kind and loving pastor who would empathize with them, I would just think, what an arbitrary distinction. Time just continues to move. What difference does it make if it's a new year? And I wouldn't say all that, but I would nod and say, good for you. It's 2006. And now I'm in that situation. I feel like 2018 has been a turning of the page for me in this area in some really significant ways, which I'm kind of excited to share. So right at the end of 2017, I just realized I was really taking on a lot of stress. So I'm running this very small network of churches that you all are a part of. And I was trying to figure out, okay, where are we supposed to go? How can I be helpful? How can we kind of give them a little nudge forward. How can I do my job in that respect? And it was difficult. It wasn't quite clear what to, what to do. So my mind was just kind of turning with that. And, uh, and we're kind of slowly researching uh, kind of a new sort of community uh, for Jesus in Los Angeles. And I've got a team helping me with that. And we are, they're very dedicated. We actually meet quite regularly and we are looking through some very rigorous materials on how to do that. But how to pull that off wasn't obvious to me. How can, uh, in this kind of vast sea here in Los Angeles, how can we do something useful wasn't quite clear. Um, I have five kids. Kids, I've discovered, bring problems with them. 
kids also bring lovely qualities. But uh, one of my kids is disabled. And so last summer, I actually ended up in a lawsuit suing the state of California for services for my oldest son. I was, I'd never been in a lawsuit. And I discovered, I didn't even realize until midstream, it turned out I was the lawyer. I hadn't, no one had told me that. I just sort of thought, I think we have to kind of try to get these services. And they said, okay, well, here's what you do. And I filled out forms. And suddenly it's like, okay, here's your court date. You're the lawyer. You'll be facing a team of lawyers from the state. And uh, good. And uh, so I thought, I'm, I'm now, I didn't go to law school, so I had to figure all that stuff out. So we are suing the state. All that stuff is happening. And I discovered increasingly over the fall, it's just like I felt this kind of, I would wake up and I would just feel stressed. And I would, uh, you know, go to my little shared workspace and try to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to do to be helpful? And it wasn't obvious. So I'm kind of, what if I tried this? Or what if I tried this? Or what if I tried this? And that wasn't obvious. And so I was at a concert for a daughter of mine who's been in choirs her whole life. And I don't know about you, I have discovered that when I go to kids at musical events, I do not tell them, them this, I get in touch with all my stresses because <laughs> I can't go anywhere. You're kind of sitting there in the, in the kids' event and you have to stay. And it's always, you see all the choirs, that like you see their choir, which comes an hour in, but there's all the ones that kind of lead up to it. And they're, they're, some of them are beginner choirs. And you think, oh, good for them. They're, they're, they're trying. And, uh, and then some are a little more experienced. And then you kind of get your kid. And you think, yay, it's my kid. Then you have a few more. And you can't go anywhere. And so, and so I get so still that I, usually what I can do to distract myself from my stresses is distract myself. But in that thing, I just can't. And so... Uh, my wife is always very excited because she saw her daughter do something beautiful. And she said, how'd you like it? And I think, I've just got to go take a few minutes <laughs> and be over here. So I was at one of those at the end of Dece- in December. And uh, it turned out to be a really good experience because it was a very familiar experience. I'm sitting, I'm kind of, I'm a big guy, and so I'm in this row where the people right next to me, and there's a wall in front of me, so I can't even really cross my legs. I'm, I'm kind of there for about two hours, and I'm just there. And I get kind of in touch with all my anxieties, and this time, though, I started to take it to God, and I felt like God started speaking to me and saying, let's use this for good rather than for bad for once, Dave. And, um, and the encouragement was, I felt like he said, hey, there's things you could do. It's the end of a year. I know you've been really stressed. There's ways. Sometimes I kind of like to fast and pray at times. I felt like he said, perfect time for a, you know, a few days fast and prayer just to kind of get yourself a time to breathe. And hey, you can go. I had a friend who was going to be away from their condominium for a while in early January. He'd said, if you ever want to use my space, you can. So I felt like he said, use it. Go down first week of of January. Go down to your friend's place and just be with me and pray a little bit. It's a new year. Let's take a moment to kind of see what you want to see from me. And there's a few projects you could work on if you want, but mostly just to be with me. Let's see what happens. And so I do that. And um, Suddenly, I felt all this encouragement. I felt God speaking to me after a few days, and I felt like he was pointing out to me that the um, kind of bag of tricks that I had used in my you know, long experience with Jesus was great and was important, but had run out. I kind of needed a new bag of tricks if I wanted to be able to settle in and find joy and find trust in the situation as opposed to anxiety. And um, he encouraged me. He, I felt like he said, this is going to be a year. You watch. I have a dream for you. And my dream for you is that you'd experience a fresh kind of joy that you'd both experience and that would just be obvious, that it would just be part of you, that it wouldn't be even something that you're kind of choosing in kind of a grim way. Like he'd say, you know, you kind of, you Christians can sometimes say, I'll choose joy, which is like, I don't care if it kills me. I'm going to do the things that are going to bring me joy. And I feel like I said, 
I don't want to say it's a contradiction in terms, but it's sort of a contradiction in terms. I just want to give it to you. And I want to give it to you in, in certain ways that I think you'll find useful. And then I've had the best 2018 so far. So whenever I talk to some friends here and they say, how are you? I say, it's, I'm doing great. I'm really encouraged. So I wanted to pass on some of that. And I think it ties in with the Palm Sunday story, coincidentally and helpfully. So <laughs> here is one of the stories about this liturgical day in the church calendar. So what happened on Palm Sunday, as you may well know, Jesus um, has had this, um, these amazing miracles, and people are following him, and he's gotten controversial, and people are fighting him. And uh, the big climax of the story is supposed to be that he comes to the central holy city of Jerusalem in triumph, and that his followers think he's going to finally kick out the Roman Empire. That's going to be good because they've been oppressing them, and he's going to become the new king. And uh, as you may know from his story, he does come to Jerusalem, and things happen a little differently than that. But the first day, Palm Sunday, is a day of triumph. And here's the story about it from Luke 19. As Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead and found it just uh, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, "Why are you untying the colt?" Which is understandable; they're taking the colt, and they replied, "The Lord needs it," which apparently was good enough for them. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees, who were sort of Jesus' religious antagonists, said to him, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So it's always one of the great lines, right? He seems to be saying, there's a lot of pent-up enthusiasm and joy and encouragement. I mean, people are pretty excited about this moment. And so I can tell them to shut up that somehow it's inappropriate, but I don't think that's going to work. They're pretty excited. So what I love about this, I mean, why Palm Sunday is such a uniquely encouraging day, is that it's a day about just letting yourself as a person centuries and millennia after this event kind of imagine yourself in that world. And you imagine yourself like, what if I were in that crowd? And, you know, and I felt Jesus coming. Why would I be so enthusiastic? You know, on the one hand, it's like, well, good for Jesus. So it'll be good to get this military thing accomplished, which isn't even going to happen. Um, but they're really enthused. I think the reason they're really enthused is that all the stresses and anxieties of their life seem to have a resolution now. It's like, hang on. Here's whatever this Jesus character is. He's the real deal. There have been miracles happening. People who have huge problems go to him and good things happen. And, uh, and now he's coming in triumph to kind of offer this widely to all my friends, to the people I care about. And there is just sort of an intrinsic enthusiasm because there's fresh hope that maybe all the burdens of their own life are not on their own back for the first time. And then it all goes bad. So it's one of the great teases of Holy Week is that we celebrate on Palm Sunday that sense of maybe it's all going to work out. Maybe there's a kind of power that is real and can help me. And, uh, and then very shortly thereafter, they're turning on him. And the enemies kind of win, and they rally the crowd against him to the famous scenes where he gets crucified and happily ultimately resurrected uh, on the day we celebrated Easter. So 
that dynamic of it's going great when they think about Jesus, they're looking at him, they're thinking about what he's done for them. But then when they kind of turn away to the people in the crowd who are saying, oh, man alive, you know, he, uh, he's bad and you should turn against him. And they think maybe we should and they get confused and it all goes bad. Just that dynamic of you look at Jesus coming to Jerusalem, you're so encouraged and you sort of start hearing all the other voices looking away and you're not has been really relevant to the situation that kind of the encouragements God's given me in 2018. So, I think that insight began with what sounded like a compliment and then became sort of an offer for something beyond what started off. Sounded like a compliment, but sort of turned. I felt like God seemed to say to me in this time, Dave, you're very motivated to be responsible. Good for you. So day after day, you'll look at the challenges facing your churches or facing your kids or facing this new church that you're trying to get started. And uh, you'll kind of squarely look at those things and try to figure out how to overcome the challenges. But of course, the problem becomes for you that those challenges don't have obvious answers. And so looking squarely at them is actually not that encouraging because it's not obvious what you can do to be helpful. And so you end up stressed out. On the one hand, for good reasons. You're not a slacker. You're responsible. Good for you. But the kicker came that while I wasn't a slacker, I wasn't exactly godly either. And I was flooded suddenly with all these scriptures that seemed to make reinforcing points to the point of the scripture in Palm Sunday. That looking at Jesus cheers us up, looking away from him doesn't. And nonetheless, that it's very tempting to look away from him for reasons that seem pretty compelling and that we shouldn't do that. So I think of a famous scripture, this crazy story from Matthew, where we get this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So they're gonna, he's with his traveling team of disciples. He's had a big gathering, and they've seen miracles, and great things have happened. He sends his followers up ahead to the next town, which is across a lake, and um, he's going to follow. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Very famous story of Jesus walking on water. Seems sort of odd. You would think, aren't there other boats? Does he really need to walk on water? But he does. (laughs) When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And you can understand that, um, that surprise. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? So, on the one hand, it's kind of a crazy miracle story full of lots of color and colorful details to it. Of Jesus decided to walk on the middle of this lake. Peter then, what was in his mind when he thought, I'll join you in walking on this choppy, I don't quite know what he was thinking, but he had a surge of faith. And, um, and, uh, and then he walks for Jesus, and when he's like looking at him, it's all going well, but then he notices I'm walking on water, and he sees the waves, kind of a choppy, choppy sea, he thinks this is crazy, and he sinks. And Jesus helps him and says, why did you doubt? And you think, well, because I was walking on water. That was, that was the main reason I doubted. There was probably two or three others, but that was the biggie. Um, that was why. And the, the observation, fairly frequently, it's not, this is a fairly standard observation from this, became really useful for me in thinking about this in the same way the Palm Sunday story did. The standard observation of the story is, if you look at Jesus, you can walk on water. If you look away from Jesus, you're going to sink. 
Well, why do you look away from Jesus? The reason you look away from Jesus is because there's compelling problems that you've got to kind of address. Like, I'm walking on water, I'd rather not drown. And so, you know, we look away because we've got to start addressing the problems of our lives. But the advice in this passage seems to be, just don't do that. Just keep looking at Jesus, he's going to be good. You're going to feel good, you're going to be encouraged, you're going to walk towards him. Palm Sunday. You look at Jesus, you think about who he is and his miracles and the things he's done that are great. You're going to be so encouraged. You're going to feel like your life's going to work out great. You turn to the crowd who's going, tell them to shut up. He's terrible. You're going to do horrible and you're going to kill him. You know, so keeping your eyes on him is really useful. That seemed to be what God was saying to me. Now, on the one hand, that's sort of an abstract idea. You know, keep your eyes on Jesus who's invisible. We're very much there. And... Um, and it'll all go great um, for a stressed out person like me. I felt like God was giving me these things. I felt like he was giving me more pictures. So famous pictures, like there's a famous story of these two sisters who uh, host Jesus, one named Mary and one named Martha. Martha is cleaning the house because it's, she, this dignitary is coming to their house and the house is untidy. So she's frantically trying to get it cleaned up. And Mary just goes and hangs out with Jesus, looks at him and soaks in the good stuff from the guru, as it were, Jesus who's there. And uh, Martha, who's doing all the work, says to Jesus, tell my sister to help me out because she's a lazy slacker. And Jesus says, she's chosen the good thing. You come and join her. You know, she's doing the good thing. That picture, you can either hang and look at Jesus, who's right there in the room, or you can notice how the house is a mess. And, and you can work on that. And the good thing to do isn't the responsible thing to do. Isn't that ironic, right? Because Mary's doing the responsible thing. I felt like those sorts of stories were meaningful because, right, what was the word to me? Jesus saying to me, Dave, you're very responsible. Good for you. In one sense saying, you and Martha have a lot in common. And, uh, and she's responsible too. She's not a bad person, but she is having a miserable life. And uh, if you're wanting a good life, Mary's doing the wise thing, being a slacker, just sitting around, looking at me and soaking in all the good stuff. The, uh, there's a famous parable called the parable of the prodigal son. Same sort of story. A rich father has a slacker son who ultimately says, I want to take my inheritance and go see the world on my own and fooey on you. And so he takes his inheritance. He goes into the world. He has wine, women, and song, etc. His money runs out. The people aren't that nice. The world turns out to be a hard place. And he decides, I'll go back home, but I probably can't go back home because I did this horrible thing. He turns around from this horrible world he's been in, turns back to his loving father, who turns out represents Jesus, and the second he turns, rehearsing the speech about why he'll never have it the way it used to be, but maybe, you know, the father could be nice to him in some small ways, the father's rushing towards him, grabbing him, and throwing him a party. That's a similar story, right? He turns and looks at the Jesus figure. Suddenly, all this good stuff's flooding towards him. He turns back and looks at the uh, horrible land around him. All he feels is dread and, and difficulty. Lot's wife, you know, famously, when you leave the bad place, just keep looking at God or don't look back, and there's kind of a bad end of that story. But it's a similar story, similar point. So all these images of this thing reinforced suddenly just were flooding me and saying, that's helpful for you. You should think about that right now. So, of course, I started asking God, how? Uh, you know, it's not that I haven't thought of things like that before, but clearly whatever I was doing had left me stressed. So what was the new thing? You know, how could I do that? And the initial sense I had was that, one, I was sort of a remedial case, and that the way I to get out of my situation as someone who needed uh, to start at a very early stage here was to just note if I felt encouraged or discouraged, and if I felt encouraged, regard that as looking at Jesus. That would be my sign. And so it's like, how are you feeling right now, Dave? And I would think, I'm feeling stressed. And then I would feel God or Jesus saying to me, well, then you're looking at the waves. 
Then you're looking at the, the prodigal son's horrible land he left. Your Lot's wife looking back and being turned into a pillar of salt. Your Martha cleaning the house. If you're feeling discouraged, you're looking at all your problems and you're trying to figure out how to solve them. You're doing the very thing that you shouldn't be doing. And so what I really want from you right now, because you need to kind of be healed of this, is take a breath, just give that away. Whatever it means to say, here, take it, Jesus, and let it you know, fly away like a bird to me, and then turn to me and say, I need your encouragement, look back. And if you're feeling encouraged, note that too. Like, note your feelings a little bit. So if you're feeling encouraged, say, take a breath and ask me, what's that all about? And am I looking at you? And how can I do more of that? So I felt like you said, you just got to be kind of like a little child who notices if you're crying to mom and dad, or if you are, you know, want to go play ball, notice your emotions more and more. And that'll be a, that'll be a road in because you're going to want to play towards looking at me and play against looking at the house that needs to be cleaning or the horrible problems in the rotten world behind you. So, I thought about that, and I started trying to do that. And uh, I remembered even classic advice like the word repent, a famous uh, scriptural command. When we're doing something bad, we're told, you know, you sinner, you should repent. And we've heard about that in context of revivalist preachers saying, I don't know, that we have sins that see other, don't seem like sins to us, but they think they're sins and we need to repent from, or things that we feel kind of guilty about and we're told to, you know, quit doing that rotten thing, repent. But what it literally means is just turn around, turn around. And so I felt like, God saying to me, when, you have a, the, when you're feeling stressed and discouraged, repent, turn around and look the other way. See that encouraging thing and see if that you know, could give you a, a new experience. So I found this happening in small and large ways. So I'd be, uh, I'm a reader. So I like going to bookstores. I was in a bookstore and I'm looking at the new books just to browse the new books. And I see a book on the current political situation from, a, from not only an opposite perspective from my own, but a kind of, to my mind, offensively opposite perspective from my own. And I notice in me, like, just as sort of that rotten so-and-so, I can't stand that person. That makes me so mad that they would even do that. And I had a moment where I stopped, and I felt like, okay, is that a good emotion or a bad emotion? I thought, well, it's a bad emotion, but it's justified because they're awful. You know, I, I, if somebody's not judging them in this store, I don't know what's wrong with the world. You know, and so I, someone's got to do that work, and I guess it's going to be me. And, uh, and I felt like God said, see, normally I'm sure many people could handle that, but you're not really capable of holding that sort of judgment and that sort of um, hostility. You're just not, it's not, you're not capable of it right now. Can you just give that away? Give it to me. And just take a breath, see how, see how it feels to give it to me. Like, just say, let it go. So I kind of let it go. And... Uh, then I felt like he said, there's a lot of books in the store that you'll really enjoy. But if you were fulminating over that one, you couldn't even see them. And so somehow it can kind of open up. There's a whole world here for you. But if you're stuck on that thing, you don't get it. Now you can get it. I bought a book that day. It was really fun. And um, <laughs> so small things like that. Then I moved on to larger challenges. So the, the next day I was thinking, well, we have some, you know, we're, financially okay, but we're, you know, we're always a little tight and we're always kind of pushing back the tide a bit on being a little less than fully okay. It's just kind of been our life forever. And it always works out, but it's always, you know, there's a little stress. It's never obvious. And so I'm sitting there one day and uh, the next day, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I feel kind of stressed financially. And it's the same advice. Well, does it feel good to be stressed financially? No, it feels bad. Um, I will confirm. It feels bad to be stressed financially. And I felt like God said, what would it mean to be Mary and not Martha? You know, it feels bad to be stressed financially because you're constantly thinking, how do I solve it? 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 How do I sweep up the house? What does it mean just to turn and look at Jesus right now? And uh, in that stress and feel good. And so I said, okay, 
all right, I'm just kind of envision you and look at Jesus and what does it mean to kind of, and even to lift up a prayer that's not a bad prayer because I realize a lot of my prayers are desperation begging prayers. Like I feel bad and it's like, I feel bad, help me feel better because that's a horrible thing. Please solve that problem. Oh, come on. And I felt like you said, take that same prayer and make it kind of a hopeful prayer. Like, wouldn't it be awesome to just feel that there was, you know, the wind at our back financially rather than the wind in our face? That would feel so good. Feel that for a second. So I did that with Jesus in prayer. Like, it feel great. And then five seconds later, I had a thought about uh, kind of that we had an asset we hadn't thought about that could actually make, make some real money. It's kind of a develop, we had some property. And I felt like God said, you can actually do different things with the property than you're doing. That could actually make some money. So I go home and I say it to my wife, Grace, who's very change averse. And I said, I've had this weird prayer time. And I was thinking about this thing that if we actually kind of tweaked our property, it might mean some money for us, which could help. And she did an odd, strange thing. She said, that's a great idea. We should totally look into that. <laughs> that like never happened. And, um, and so suddenly we're on the phone and in a couple of weeks, we'll talk to somebody about whether there's a possibility there. Um, if, if it were to work beautifully, it would certainly solve our problems to a great degree. And if it were to work okay, it would still help. And if it were not to work, well, then we'd be back where we were. But um, we'll find out. But that was just encouraging. And then Grace came to me and she said, you know the thing you're mentioning about financial pressure? I've realized she's been working part-time at a retail store. So making minimum wage just to go to the house primarily. And so a few hours a week. And she said, um, you know, I suddenly realized there's actually, I'm trained in, she's trained in ESL. And she says, I'm trained in ESL. I'd rather be doing ESL. So thinking about what you'd said about, you know, we could use some upward pressure on our money. I just went over to the local community college. I said, do you guys need ESL tutors, which I'd rather do anyway than this. And I, I like to work with international people. And they said, we totally do. What are your qualifications? And she gave it. She has quite a few. And they said, oh, you're totally qualified. We'll apply. Here's our, here's the, the here's what we pay. Well, there'd be more hours, but they paid like 12 times more money than she was making currently. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, she said, I don't know, should I do this? And I said, from my point of view? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, you got to decide if you want to do it, but that's your call. So I'll say I found, suddenly found these encouragements coming my way as opposed to constantly feeling like I was fending off the discouragements. So that instinct, kind of noticing how am I feeling, paying attention to it. Because I think what I usually would just do is not pay attention to it and just react out of it. If I felt bad, it's like I've been poked and I had an opposite poke back of whatever, how I had to solve it. So I didn't have to feel that way. And this was a new thing. It was like, if I feel bad, don't, don't react. Just sit there and feel bad for a minute. And then take it to God and say, how, what, what should I do? And then see what advice I got. That was a, like that, that step back was a new experience for me. And uh, it has brought very encouraging results in just a few months. So I'm new. I'm a newbie. Again, sort of remedial, but Charles asked. And I thought, well, I am thinking about it, so I'll pass on what I'm thinking about. Um, here are some larger implications this small endeavor has brought up for me. One, it's encouraged me that Jesus' world, like the Father's world in the parable of the prodigal son, is abundant and not scarce. Now, again, as a pastor, clearly I understood that theologically. I don't know a ton about God, but if you were to say, is God on the whole rich or poor? I would have gone with the right answer, which is rich. God created the world. He's got a lot of resources. He's abundant. I understood that the image of Jesus as the father in the parable of the prodigal son is revealing because the parable of the father in that story is like super wealthy, you know, has all resources. That's not coincidental to how we're encouraged to think about Jesus in that role. So if you were to ask me theologically, is, are we living in a world of abundance or scarcity if we follow the living God? I would have said abundance. 
But nonetheless, I think I was acting as if it was scarce. And I think that's because I was playing the role of Martha or playing the role of the prodigal son trying to figure out how to make it work by not going back to the father or playing the role of the Palm Sunday uh, worshipers of Jesus who were thinking, I guess it's not going to work out. Kill him and we'll figure it out ourselves. You know, I was playing the role of the bad person in all those stories. And I was doing it out of a sense of, quote, responsibility. But what that told me is if I'm constantly looking, surveying the landscape of what are my resources, it never looked good. You know, it just constantly looked like maybe we could cobble this together and move this over here and, and maybe it would be a little bit better. It, but it never solved the problem because the resources were too scarce. And suddenly, just turning to look at the rich father, who, the Jesus figure in the parable of the prodigal son, suddenly I felt there's, there's a lot more wealth than I'm availing myself of. God's rich. And uh, as I look to him, who knows what will happen? So literally, you know, I think I'm feeling financial pressure. Let's just, let's just imagine that I'm actually looking at the Father, and he's encouraging me. He's, he's putting the wind at my back, and let's just feel that for a second. Five seconds later, it's like, well, you've got your land. And Grace says, oh, why don't I look for a better job? And you think, there's resources I hadn't even thought of that, that he has that are offered to me. Maybe Jesus' world is abundant and not scarce. Secondly, it showed me that my opportunity is to walk on water rather than to bring order out of chaos. So God's job, you'll, you'll remember, in the very beginning of the Bible— is the world's chaotic, and God, through the Holy Spirit, brings order, which creates the world. So he's, he can take things that don't make sense and don't interact with one another and make them coherent and fruitful. The problem is, I don't think I can. And I think, maybe it's because we're in the image of God, we all tend to want to look at a chaotic world and think, I can make this work. I'll stuff it over here, and I'll move it over there. But maybe the better metaphor isn't that one. The better metaphor is walk on water, the way Peter did. Peter just felt faith, like, I can do this amazing thing. Let's just go do it because of Jesus. Let's see what happens, and let's enjoy it while we're doing it. Let's not look at the waves. I cannot make order out of the choppy waves. I cannot make them cement. That would order my, my steps, but I can just follow Jesus in a chaotic, disordered world that Jesus is ordering. He'll, he'll take care of that one, but it's not my job. That was new to me. It's shown me how many presuppositions I have about what I need to either be happy or to please God. So, all these encouragements I've gotten from God to let things go, like when I was mad at the political book, have been really revealing. So just paying attention to my level of encouragement or discouragement shows me that I have more regrets than I'd realized. Things I hadn't even like, paid attention to because I'm kind of just not addressing them. I'm just saying, okay, leave them behind. And so noting at one point, oh, I had a thought. It was really disheartening. And now I'm kind of paying attention to that. So it's like, okay, take a breath. Feel the thought. What is that thought? I wonder what that thing is. It feels so disheartening. And I thought, I guess it feels like if I just made X, Y, or Z different decision, I wouldn't have this problem right now. That's what I think that's what I'm feeling. And uh, so I take it to Jesus, and I say, what do you want me to do with that thought? And I felt like God said to be something like, well, Dave, even that's, that would be classically considered a regret. And you're probably aware that regrets generally are not. They're frowned on in the Bible, and uh, they're, they're things you're supposed to let go. But even just say the word to yourself, regret. Just say, like, regret, and see how your body reacts. And I realized I said it, I thought, oh, it's like my whole kind of abdomen tense is like regret. It's like I'm hunkering down. But like you said, right, is that how you want to go through life? Going, oh, you know, just kind of protecting myself against anything that could hurt me, but I want to steal myself against feeling that bad thing. I felt like you said, obviously, let it go. Just, just, just like literally, like you're just handing it to me and I'll just take it and I'll walk away. You don't have to see it anymore. Just let it go. Don't even feel it. And now let's move into what I'm offering you right now. I have new things to give you. But so far as you're stuck on things I didn't give you in the past or that you wish you'd chosen differently, you can't even receive, you can't see the new thing. 
Just let it go and see what happens next. And several good things came as a result. Suddenly I started seeing this everywhere. So um, Grace has gotten sick of me bringing this point up. It's like it's become a, she's charmed by it and it gets old. <laughs> and so uh, we're watching a movie the other day. I thought, see, there it is. There it is. And she's saying, can I watch the movie? And then you can tell me after the movie why this theme is really relevant. Um, but uh, I think I'd read an, a magazine article somewhere ranking the best performance of the, this famous actress had a movie coming out. Jennifer Lawrence had a movie that bombed that came out recently. But they were ranking you know, their favorite performances of hers. And the one they thought was the best was her performance that won her an Oscar in Silver Lining Playbook. And I thought, oh, I like that movie. That was really good. We should see that movie again. And now, because of technology, you can see any movie whenever you want to. And so I went home, and I started watching it, and Grace showed up. And uh, my, older, my second son watched it with me. And I thought, well, that's this whole movie. The movie, as you may remember or may not, is about Bradley Cooper's character, who's mentally ill, is bipolar. And he has a major regret. He's thrown away a marriage that he, he misses, even though it wasn't clear this woman ever loved him, and she cheated on him. And she's got a restraining order out against him. And, and everyone's saying, let it go. But he's determined to get her back, to get her back. And along the way, Jennifer Lawrence's character shows up, who's also damaged, but Jennifer Lawrence, quite a beautiful young woman, and who's loving and who's there for him. But he's not interested in her. He wants Nikki. He wants the ex-wife. And the whole arc of the movie is so long as he's stuck on this thing he doesn't have, so long as he's stuck on this thing in his past that's been taken from him, he can't just walk into the present moment, which is offering him a tremendous gift. Can he just take the gift? And I thought, so I'm, I'm nudging Grace. There it is. There it is. She's saying, Dave, I kind of like this movie. Can I just watch the movie? We'll, we'll process it all night if you want afterwards. <laughs> and um, and uh, so we finish the movie, and I say, Remember what you said that we could process it all night? <laughs> so when does that start? <laughs> because I'm really thinking about this. And I make the obvious only point I have to make, and then I'm done in like two seconds. She says, right, that's definitely there in that movie, Dave. That's true. And then we went and had dinner. Um, finally, it's helped me understand yet again that the fuel I'm meant to run on is faith. So it's turned out that faith is surprisingly internal in some ways. It's like you're feasting on something that's not about the external world. The external world in the parable of the prodigal son is mostly the world he's left behind. This horrible, difficult, challenging kind of void of a world that he's left behind. Faith is just seeing the father run, run to him, love him, give him stuff. That's almost more of a state of mind for him there. And um, it's apparent that evidently Jesus wants me to enjoy my life and to feel good and to feel the encouragement of a life of faith. And that the enemy to that, the threat of that, is if I'm constantly in Martha mode and just saying, I got to clean. Look at this house. This thing's a mess. Um, that, will, that will undo me on that challenge. So there's just so many you know, scriptures that make the point you're meant to feast on faith. Uh, Ephesians 3 says Christ dwells on our heart through faith. That's the way you're going to get him. Um, Matthew 7, we always, we always promise is like, ask and you will receive. Well, the only way that seems to make sense is if, as we turn towards Jesus, and we say, sort of like the, the son who turned toward the father, I would like to come home. It'd be great to be with you. It'd be great to see what you have for me, that suddenly we can be open to getting stuff we'd never expected. Um, it turns out that the fuel that's going to help us is faith. So this has been remarkably generative for me, as you said, as I've said, and... Um, There's so many other themes. Um, what does it feel like? We feel like we have no choice but to be Martha. 
you know, the work has to get done. You know, so what do we do if the, the work, I can turn away from it because it discourages me, but it still has to happen. You know, what do you do under those circumstances? I felt like there's been immediate advice, which is another day, another sermon, but things like that have come up. I feel like uh, themes have come up with this whole um, view of the world of, yeah, but what if what you're discouraged by is other people? You know, they're doing discouraging things, or you feel like you have to forgive them, or you feel like you have to kind of figure out a way to feel okay about people that are not being pleasing to you, or maybe in your past haven't been pleasing to you. This has strong perspectives on that. It's like there's obvious implications, like, oh, well, then you would do this. Wouldn't that work great? And so I found myself kind of having a checklist of new things I've learned along the way. But the big message I've had is that the message of Palm Sunday, the message where Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything. It seems utopian, right? How can you not be anxious about anything? Like, it seems like almost like what we take that is to say, all right, being anxious is bad and I'll, do, I'll try to do better. But what if he's saying, what if it's a literal statement? Just don't do it. Whatever those Martha-like stresses are, don't, don't take them on. Just don't be anxious about anything. It's given me hope that it's possible. Um, and so that's been encouraging. Let me pray for us. Father God, I, I do regard worry and anxiety as the human condition. It certainly is a pastor for many years. I've talked to so many people about their stresses. And, uh, and clearly, I suffer my own. And so as just people who are uh, subject to a world that's often challenging, we want to give you our stresses right now. Wouldn't it be nice to feel your encouragement now? So maybe we'll just take even just a moment here and kind of on Palm Sunday, there you are. You are entering in triumph to uh, Jerusalem. And it's still so encouraging to look at you and realize that's who we're following. That's who we're banking on. And everyone's cheering. And it feels so good to realize that's the team we're on. And you, ca- you know us personally. You care for us. And, and you're on it. I pray, Lord, you give us the encouragement of just looking that way for a moment. And right now, if any of the, the things we have to get done or any of the, the stresses we haven't been able to master are kind of barking at our heels like little yapping dogs, I pray, Lord, that you still encourage us to keep looking your way and to, uh, to give you those stresses, whatever it looks like, just to hand them to you and let them kind of fly away and go. And we receive your encouragement the encouragement that comes to a climax on Easter next week where we realize that encouragement is turning towards you is actually backed by quite a bit of power. And we look forward to experiencing more of that as we move forward with you. In Jesus' name, amen.